So that text started by saying, on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. And that's kind of a tough place to start because we're kind of, be, kind of being dropped in to the middle of something. You know, you might wonder what day exactly are we talking about? What's going on? So here's some context. In Holy Week, we remembered the passion story from the Gospel of John. Uh, different, obviously, from the Gospel of Luke, but remembering the passion through John does, in fact, shed light on how to understand what Luke is trying to say about this walk that they're taking to Emmaus. On Good Friday, we saw the true identities of Paul, the authorities, and Pilate get exposed. Peter says he would be willing to die with Jesus if necessary, but then it turns out when faced with the possibility of being lumped in with Jesus, Peter denies knowing him, and not just once but three times. The authorities have a similar exposure. They say they're selfless servants of the law, but to keep Jesus on track for crucifixion, they choose to release a convicted criminal, Barabbas. Excusing a guilty man while calling to crucify an innocent man exposes these authorities' true identity. And then there was Pilate, who is supposedly the most powerful man in this part of the world. Three times he says he finds no case against Jesus, and yet he still won't do anything about this arrest or his path to the cross. Pilate is exposed for being powerless when the pressure gets to be too great. Of course, exposing all these true identities connects very well with our own stories. We name this on Ash Wednesday that we are dust, and to dust we shall return. And none of us in this life is going to earn God's love or, or try hard enough to earn that love. We aren't able to save ourselves through any level of status or wealth or knowledge or positive thinking or health foods or exercise or clever prayers. We do not find God. Our true identity is dusty, lost sinner, which is what makes Good Friday so good, because on the cross, God there finds us. That's the point. Nailed to the throne, God sees us, the truest form of us, our real identity, stripped of all pretendings. God sees us in our stubbornness and through our lies and through our pain and through our loneliness and through our emptiness, our fear, our weakness, God sees us. And from that cross chooses to join us in all the mess, in death itself. God embraces the costs of sin on that cross and proclaims, you're not alone. You never were. You never will be. So we are seen, we are known, we are graced, and that is good. It is very, very good. But God doesn't just join us by dying. God then saves us by rising. Good Friday is about being seen. Easter Sunday is about being saved. So that's the context of today's text. This text for today from Luke picks up on this seeing theme. It's still Easter Sunday in the story, and there's these two people, Cleopas and another we never get the name of. They're getting out of town, 
And who can blame them, really? Because really, who knows what's going to happen next? They're extremely disappointed. That's the mood of the moment. Actually, disappointed probably doesn't even begin to describe it. I was thinking about the, the depth of disappointment they're probably feeling. I was trying to think of what, what feelings have we ever, what experiences have we ever had that are like it? I was thinking about, do you know that feeling when you think your team's going to win it all this year? And you're not delusional, like they're actually really good, and then they kick a field goal instead of going for a touchdown when there isn't enough time to kick a field goal and score a touchdown because you know Tom Brady's going to just kill the clock once they get the ball back in. Maybe it's a little too soon for me. But sports fans know what I mean. Political people, they know too. It's the feeling you get when your candidate surprisingly doesn't win the election or the feeling when you break up with someone that you thought you were going to spend the rest of your life with. That surprised or disappointed or that horrible feeling in your gut, now multiply that by a thousand. And that's how these disciples of Jesus are feeling. Cleopas and this walking companion say, and I'm going to try to read this as pathetically as possible, Jesus of Nazareth, a mighty prophet in deed and word before God and all the people, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. He was condemned to death and they crucified him. And did you hear how they say that? We had hoped. They've lost their hope. I don't know if you've ever spoken to someone who's truly hopeless, but that's where they're at. Of course, they're telling all this to the risen Jesus himself. That's the ironic thing. So amidst this pathetic scene on the road to Emmaus is actually a bit, it's not just ironic, it's almost, it's almost comic. They're pouring out their frustrations and disappointments onto the guy they think has disappointed them. But their eyes are kept from recognizing him, which is a sentence that puts shivers up and down my spine. Disciples of Jesus are kept from recognizing Jesus. They're kept from seeing him. Their desperation, their faith, nothing, can, nothing they can muster turns on the light bulb and makes them see what's right in front of their face. How often must that happen to us? That's what it makes me wonder. How often are our eyes kept from recognizing Jesus? Perhaps because we're so caught up in our own disappointments, we don't see Jesus. Or we're so busy that we can't see Jesus. Or our expectations of what Jesus would say or what Jesus would do, they're not being met. So we refuse to admit that that experience or that phrase or that action could be of God. So these disciples, they recount the entire resurrection story the women saw the empty tomb, and then they told us all about it, and then they saw angels who said he's alive, and then we found it just as the women had said, but we did not see him. So then Jesus calls them foolish and slow of heart. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interprets to them the things about himself in the scriptures. Notice even after all this teaching, they still don't see him. They come near Emmaus. Jesus walks ahead of them as though he's going to keep on walking. And so they urge him strongly to stay. Stay with us. 
so he does. And it's while they're at the table with him that Jesus takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Their eyes are not opened through instruction or through some deep meditative prayer. Their eyes are opened by an encounter with Jesus that results from hospitality. It's interesting because in the Gospel of John, Mary doesn't recognize Jesus either. She thinks he's the gardener. But once he calls her name, she sees. I think this is the good news. The resurrected Jesus, it sounds like, is hard to recognize. His love and grace and mercy, his ways can be easy to miss or mistake. But Jesus, this is the good news, Jesus comes up with all kinds of ways to make himself known, to make himself seen. In the breaking of the bread, which is a lot like communion, in calling us by name, which is a lot like baptism, but also in ways we don't expect. Have you ever been taken by surprise by the living God? I've told this story before, but when I went on sabbatical four years ago now, it began during the coldest week of January with a five-day silent retreat on St. Joseph's Ridge. And on the second night, I had just read a chapter in my little devotional book about how prayerful the author thought darkness can be. You know, dark gets kind of a, a bad rap. We're supposed to be afraid of it at all times. But her point was not all dark is bad. Moonlight is actually very deeply meaningful to her. And as I was reading, I resonated with that. It's always been meaningful to me too. And I, I remember being a kid looking out my window into the dark woods of my parents' land. We were in northern Wisconsin in the Shawamigan Forest. I remembered as I was reading that moonlit nights when I, I couldn't get to sleep. And it wasn't that I was, you know, saying formal prayers to Jesus as I was looking out my window, but I remember feeling the presence of God on cold winter moonlit nights and wondering the, the big questions. What does God want from me, from anyone? Who is God? I wonder how tomorrow's going to go. And then I'd go through the list of things that I was worried about for tomorrow and whether what I'm worrying about actually matters at all. And I remember eventually peace, calm, washing over my soul, and my hyped-up teenage angst would be quieted and I would rest. This didn't happen every night or maybe even very often at all, but it did from time to time, enough that I remember. And remembering these teenage years went on as I was on this first week of sabbatical, as I was remembering, and I don't know how long I was remembering that second night, but I then leaned back in what I remember now as the ugliest, coziest reclining chair I've ever known, and I looked up, and there was a skylight built into this little hermitage building. And through that skylight at this point in the night, was the moon, full, shining bright on that cold winter night. Of all the places 
in the sky for the moon to be. At that very moment, it was shining through that skylight onto my face. And I saw again. I remembered what it's like to be in the presence of God. It wasn't communion. It wasn't baptism. That doesn't mean God didn't show up. Those disciples on their way to Emmaus, as they offered hospitality to the stranger, they they opened themselves up. They made themselves available to the presence of God. I made myself available to the presence of God when I stopped for a moment during my sabbatical. I'm not saying it's a scientific certainty, like open yourself to God and God will always show up with some significant experience that you're going to remember and be able to talk about years later. But it's most certainly true that if you're not slowing down long enough to maybe see and experience the presence of God, you won't. If you can't bring yourself to kindness for a stranger or generosity to those in need or love for an enemy, grace may seem pretty unrecognizable to us. Jesus is risen. It's not simple or easy to recognize the risen Jesus, and yet... We know from experience God seeks us out that we may see, that we may know that he is risen and that we too shall rise. Thanks be to God. Amen.